there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before. And it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. You remember that Liza Doolittle, My Fair Lady? My Fair Lady. My Fair Lady. And she sang, all I want is a room somewhere far. Well, I shouldn't probably sing on this. <laughs> people, ah, turn and make it stop, la, 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 la. And her whole thing was, oh, wouldn't it be loverly? And I thought, loverly, what a great word, loverly. False personality is a process of emotional reactions in us that must be shaken to the core to get rid of it. False personality is software. It's a process. It's not a thing. It's not a block of wood. It's not a pot. It's not a piano. It's not a sofa. It's not something. It's not your body. Although it uses all of those things to justify its belief that it exists. False personality is our feeling of ourselves. It's an imaginary thing because our feeling of ourselves can change. And it can change without us wanting it to change, without us having anything to do with it. It can just change in a moment. And we have no control over it whatsoever. So how can something be yours if you have no control over it whatsoever? How can you really call it yours? You can't call your hand yours anymore when you can't move it anymore. If someone else is moving your hand, it's not your hand, it's their hand. It's just maybe they have your jacket on, whatever, and you're thinking it's your hand, but it's not. False personality is an acquired artificial mask. It's a person that we've pretended to be for so long, we no longer know that we're pretending. Have you ever told a story so many times that now you don't know if it's true or not, or if it happened that way or not? Thank you, thank you, thank you for telling the truth. I really appreciate it when you tell the truth because you must be genuine and sincere to do this work. If you're willing to lie to look good to other people, this, this work is it's going to be very difficult for you, very difficult. I'm not saying you can't do it, but I'm, but I'm saying that something's going to have to give. False personality takes itself as a unity which gives rise to imaginary I. You see, False personality is not one, but it takes itself as one. So that makes this ghost arise, this phantom arise that says, this is I, and it's imaginary I. It's imaginary because we're not one. So we can't say I to anything because we say I to everything and we have no control over it. The same way if you had no control over your hand, you can't really say that's my hand. Well, if it's your hand, then make it do something. Make it wave. Make it pick up that peanut. Make it do something if it's your hand. You can't. Then you can't really call it your hand. Prove it's your hand by doing something with it. And that's what this work means by doing. You can't do means you can't make yourself do what you say you're going to do. If you could, then you could say you do. Oh, but I do sometimes. Sometimes isn't enough. It's got to be all the time. It's got to be 100% of the time, or it's not real doing. It's hit and miss. It may have just happened. 
How do I know somebody else didn't move your hand? False personality takes itself as a unity, giving rise to imaginary I. Borrowing the idea it is a real person, it says I to everything. So we go around saying I, I, I. Well, I want this and I want that and I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that and I don't like this and I like that. And then in two minutes, if that long or 30 seconds, it changes. Dependent upon something that happened outside of us. Not dependent upon anything that happened inside of us. Although, what happened inside of us did change, but it was like, you ever see somebody break in pool? Whack! They hit the cue ball with the cue stick, and the ball goes into this triangle of balls. Wham! The balls scatter everywhere. That's exactly what it's like for us. The cue stick is the events in life. Smacks the cue ball. The cue ball goes flying off and hits the balls, and they all start scattering willy-nilly. It looks like in some random order, but it's not. It's geometry. But some of you failed geometry, never got it, so we won't talk about <laughs> geometry. <laughs> it's a mechanical process, is what I mean to say. Geometry is a mechanical process. It's machinery. You look at a fulcrum. What is it? It's a triangle. What's that? Geometry. Look at a pyramid. What is it? <laughs> okay. So you get the idea? It's all geometry. An inclined plane, a screw, uh, pulleys, all of these things. It's all geometry. It's all math. It's all mechanical. And the mechanical process is set into motion by this cue stick from outside, this outside event. Whack! We whack it with a cue stick, and then we act in this way, or we act in that way. The balls will go this way or that way. And if you were to trace them, you would see all of these little geometrical designs. And it's predictable. You can predict what will happen. If you do it right, you can predict what will happen. If you hit it right, you can predict the angle that it will take. And this is true of us. And this is what this work is based on. It's based on geometry. It's based on the idea that you can know how your machine works. And knowing how your machine works, you can begin to correct it. Which is really a great idea. So keeping this show on the road takes a lot of force. It makes us internally consider and it exhausts us. Well, how does it make us internally consider? Well, first of all, if this false personality that takes itself as a unity, giving rise to imaginary I, borrowed this idea of a person, this imaginary person. Now, if somebody says anything to this imaginary person, false personality can now be slighted. When it's slighted and it's self-liking and it's self-love and self-interest is hurt, it now internally considers and starts to keep accounts. That is a bad person because they hurt me. That gets exhausting. Ospensky said false personality always justifies itself to maintain its existence. Survival of the fittest. Natural selection. False personality exists because it has no natural enemy. See, the work is not a natural enemy. The work is an unnatural enemy because it comes from outside the system. When we brought snails to California, we had no idea. Well, everybody thought, oh, we're going to have escargot. Well, now we have escargot in a bundo, <laughs> you know, we, we, there's snare all and snail killer and bug killer and this killer and that killer to try and get rid of the snails. And there's no way because they have no natural enemy because they were brought from outside. They didn't naturally occur here. They were brought here from somewhere else where they naturally occurred and had a natural enemy. And now they've been able to just go crazy. This is the way false personality is. So we have to import a natural enemy from outside this system, our system, 
And that is the work. It comes from higher places. It comes from outside of us. It comes from the conscious circle of humanity. It comes from conscious people. They know what will balance this system because they have balanced their own system. And so they offer that to us. But we have to be wise and employ it. Or else we have this snail problem. <laughs> or whatever. What's that other one? Kudzu. Or... That's a big problem now, too. And there's a million things. We've done that all over the world. We whacked everything out for that. So Spensky says, false personality always justifies itself to maintain its existence. This wastes force. We must see it is not really I. Well, of course it's wasting force. You're maintaining the existence of something that is imaginary. It's not real. You're imagining that it's so. You're putting all of your force, you're blowing up this balloon. And it's leaking constantly, but you keep on blowing up the balloon and you don't have time or energy for anything else. You're worn out blowing up the balloon to keep this big bloated lie floating there in front of you and in front of other people. That's what false personality is. False personality is like a chameleon, shifting eyes according to its environment while keeping the same quality of falseness. See, it just takes on the color of whatever. It goes around people who are like this and it acts like that. It goes around people who are like this and acts in a totally different way. It calls it being adaptable. But it is false. It's a lie. It's pretense. But we call that adaptability. Why? Because false personality always justifies itself to maintain its existence. So it justifies its pretense by calling it adaptability. But remember, all the time it's being adaptable, it's maintaining the same quality of falseness. We must come to internal separation of this is not really I. We've got to come to the place where we say this is not really I. So Patty's driving the bus and she says, wait a second, I'm daydreaming. This is not good. I need an alert I to be driving this bus. And so she had it. And what happened there? Well, what happened there is she internally separated from the daydreaming I. She said, this is no place for you. You have no right to be here. It's like... It's like the house that's not in order. And the, the gardener is in the laundry. And he's throwing dirt in the washing machine to wash the clothes. And the launderer is out in the garden. And he's sprinkling soap and bleach all over all the plants. And he's watering them with bleach. And he's fertilizing them with soap. And the plants are all out there screaming. And the clothes are all in the other room screaming. And we've got everything all messed up. And this is why our house is not in order, because the daydreaming eye is driving the bus. Well, the bus driving eye is off somewhere else because it doesn't have the power to get in the driver's seat. Because who's going to give it the power? Deputy steward. Work eye has got to say no. No, you don't belong here. You belong here. So it doesn't really push one out. It just puts the other one in. You see, the daydreaming eye didn't get eliminated. There's a time and a place for daydreaming. Inventors know that, but it's not driving the bus. So we've got to come to this place of internal separation where we realize this is not really I to, in order to make false personality passive through the development of inner taste, which leads to real conscience. And real conscience is the greatest internal sense that we can have. It is our compass. It's our internal compass. The problem is that real conscience is buried under layers and layers and layers of false personality. And what we have instead replacing it is acquired conscience. Acquired conscience is the, the, the conscience that's different in every country. So in one country, it's okay to beat women and, and to 
to keep them in slavery and to, and to cover them from head to toe in black robes and to, you know, to make them do this or to make them do that. It's okay. But in another country, that's just horrible. That's acquired conscience. And it's different. It can be different in every society, in every country, and in different times. But real conscience is the same for everybody everywhere. And why is it that we don't see any of that? I just said why. Because it's buried under layers and layers of false personality, and false personality runs the world. Who do, you, who do you think is in charge? Do you think the president is conscious? Oh, but he does. But of course, you think you're conscious too, so that'll give you an idea of what that's like. If we didn't have real conscience buried in us, no one could ever awaken. Acquired conscience is a matter of imitation. Real conscience is not a matter, matter of imitation, it's a matter of what is actually yours. What is really yours. But we can't know what is really ours as long as we are looking for, as long as we think we are imaginary I. As long as we think we're imaginary I, we think that what belongs to us is whatever we think belongs to imaginary I. And all that is self-emotion, self-liking, self-interest, self-love. We can imitate life forever and never find the real. In other words, being mechanical doesn't lead to consciousness. You can imitate life forever and you will never stumble upon the real. You've got to have something inside of you, magnetic center, that has some valuation that this is not it. There's something else. And that's what I want. Ospensky said, specifically, he said of Matthew 22, 37 through 40. I'm going to read that for you. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Ospensky said specifically of this, false personality loves itself only and all that flatters it or agrees with it. Unless a man can find something to love greater than himself, he can never modify this inner state. Well, what if I find something greater to love in myself? No. You have to find something to love greater than yourself. That's what Ospensky said, greater than yourself. Nowadays, people have got a very strange view of the universe and take it all for granted as if it created itself, and they see nothing marvelous in it. How can a thing create itself? Scientists describe every discovery to themselves, not understanding that they are studying a universe already given them, which existed long before they were born. They even call stars by their own names. It is absurd. Still, this is still Ospensky talking about this. False personality ascribes everything to itself. In more ancient times, when a man had sense of the miraculous and worshipped God as the creator, both of himself and of the universe, he was emotionally in a far better state than exists nowadays in the average human outlook. What is he saying? What is Ospensky saying? Is he saying that people now don't worship God? Is he saying now that people don't think that the universe and that, that they were created? Yes, that's what he's saying. He's saying that generally how we look at things, no matter what we say, no matter how many churches there are, no matter how many religions there are, no, how, no matter how many people are attending those places and professing those beliefs and spewing those words, He's saying that it's not really happening for us. This is why people get so PO'd, put out, put out for people in foreign countries who don't know what PO'd means. It means put out. People get so put out by churches, by religions. Well, they say this, but they do that. Oh, yeah, well, they're very different than you, aren't they? Because you say this and you do that. You do everything that you say. You're not a hypocrite at all, but they're hypocrites. 
See, we're always, and this, that's what this work is about. This work is about, look, if, if that bothers you, look to your own house. Look to yourself. Look to the hypocrites in you. Look to the Pharisees in you, if those Pharisees bother you. Oh, we don't like that, because it's much more fun to throw rocks at them than it is to look at ourselves. His understanding was better, Ospensky said. He could stand under himself. We can't stand under, our, under ourselves. We don't stand under anything because we stand above everything. We rule the world. We rule the stars. We rule everything, or so we do in our minds. There is nothing that we think we can't do. Given enough time, given enough money, given enough energy, given enough manpower, we think we can do anything. We think that we're going to live forever. We think that we're going to change genes, genetic codes, and make everything the way we want it to be. And we probably will. And when we do, it'll be like snails in California. There'll be no natural enemy, and we will destroy ourselves. Because that's what we can do. We can't create ourselves, but we can destroy ourselves. As we have shown over and over and over and over again with societies that have reached the pinnacle of understanding and enlightenment and then disappeared. We have been here before. We just have no history of it. Or we're blind to the history of it. Ospensky goes on to say, the meanings about love and the Gospels destroy the first per false personality because when they begin to be understood by a man, the sense of the smallness of themselves, we, sen we begin to sense the smallness of ourselves in comparison with the great mystery of creation, and it begins to affect us emotionally. When you start to get your smallness in relationship to the universe, it has an emotional impact on you, a profound emotional impact with you, on you. How many times have I said, we walk the earth too proudly. We must see our place in the great ray. We must find our place in the great ray. And we must accept it in order for us to grow from that place. All greater emotions destroy the small self-emotions which arise from the narrow, contracted sphere of the false personality and its own minute self-liking and self-importance. Yes! Go, Ospensky, go! That's right! All greater emotions destroy those petty emotions the same way that a greater light, like the sun, makes all the stars in the sky fade. Well, is it, is it really a greater light? No, but it's closer. It's greater to us. In relationship to where we are, the sun is the greatest light in our sky. And so it makes all the others pale in comparison, so they can't be seen when the sun is out. And this is the same thing happens with greater emotions and lesser emotions. When the sun of greater emotions rises, the petty self-emotions disappear. To argue about whether Christ existed or not as, a historic, as an historical fact has little sense. You know, this is what I loved about Ospensky. He was not a religious man. But he was genuine, sincere, and logical. He looked at it objectively, as objectively as I've seen anyone look at it. And he said, this doesn't make any sense. Why argue about this? In fact, he did, and carried out his role deliberately. Now, he's saying something that he knew, but he doesn't elaborate on that. He says, the point is that any man with any kind of discrimination and understanding who reads the Gospels for the first time knows at once that these brief records, these words, are completely different from anything that has ever been written since that time. So if you don't think that, then Ospensky's saying, well, 
Clearly, it is because you don't have any discrimination or understanding. Well, that's not a sin. That's just ignorance. And ignorance can be cured. But it can't be cured with more pride. It has to be cured with humility, with seeing our place in the great ray and understanding our nothingness, accepting our nothing. It's okay to be nothing because that's where you have to start. You don't have to be taken there. You have to go there deliberately by yourself because you want more. Ospensky goes on to say, but people read the Gospels mechanically. They do not understand what they read. That's, that's the truth. They read about the Pharisees and Christ's continual condemnation of them, but they do not see that it applies to themselves, to their own false personality. It is always pretending to be what it is not. They must give up completely the idea that they are their own creators, realize practically by blow after blow that something infinitely greater than themselves exists and that they are nothing. The trouble is they think they understand what Christ said. And even quite religious people profess that they love God and do not observe that they insist on their own opinions and are a massive false personality so that really in the long run, they love themselves. They are liable to judge and condemn everyone who behaves in a way they do not like. They hate in secret. Okay, well, that's my quote from Mr. Ospensky for the morning. I have more respect and admiration for Ospensky. Every time I read something else and every time I accept more of my nothingness, when I accept my position in the universe, I have great respect for these other people. Remember how I used to rail on Ospensky? He's too intellectual. Blah, 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 blah. I'm shutting up here, boss. I'm just the opposite now. Now I say, you know what? I have a, I have a huge amount of respect for the man. And I, I have a, a debt of gratitude. He is an inspiration. Maurice Nicole, an inspiration. Gurdjieff, an inspiration. Buddha, an inspiration. Muhammad, an inspiration. Jesus, an inspiration. You know, there are so many inspirations, but you have to humble yourself to be inspired. Just like you have to expire before you can inspire. You have to exhale before you can inhale. You've got to let something out before you can take any more in. You've got to empty yourself out before you can take anything in. And if you want to take anything good in, begin to empty yourself out. Love your neighbor as yourself. Which self? You know, my neighbor could be in big trouble. How do you feel about some of yourselves, some of your eyes? Ooh, you don't really love them, do you? Push them away, stick them in the dark, put them in the dark side, lock them up in the cellar, kill them, destroy them. True? True. People say they love God, and then they go and kill one another, or hate each other, or talk evilly. How can that be love of God? This is what Ospensky had to say, or Nicole had to say. Actually, this came out of the third volume of uh, Nicole's commentaries on the work of Gurdjieff and Ospensky. So actually, this whole quotation was Nicole relating what Ospensky said, what he heard Ospensky say. So word for word, you know, I don't know. I don't know what kind of a memory he had. But I do know this. I know that Gurdjieff, when he read Ospensky's In Search of the Miraculous, or Fragments of an Unknown Teaching, he said, the man is a genius. That's exactly what I said. That's exactly how it happened. That's exactly right. What a memory. I think that people in this work, when they move to a certain point, that they have powers that, that we don't understand ordinarily. For example, the power to be conscious. What is that? I don't know. I'd like it. Good. Keep working. 
All we can say of ourselves is we do not know how to love others or God. We must see this as so. What we call love turns to dislike, suspicion, jealousy, or hate in a moment. Love means positive emotion, and we do not know positive emotions. They never turn into opposites because they include all opposites. Love includes all opposites. How? We don't understand how. God makes his sun to shine on the good and the bad. He makes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust alike. He doesn't care. He gives it freely to all of them. We don't do that. It's because our emotions, what we call love, we dole out according to who deserves it. And we withhold from the people who don't deserve it. That's what we call love. And it's based on what we judge and what we judge is based on what we like and we, what we dislike, and that's based on how it feels to us, and that's self-emotions, and that is not love. Not the love that the Gospels is talking about. Now, I don't know what the love the Gospels is talking about is, but I know that this isn't it. What we do isn't it. We only know emotions that turn readily into their opposites in a flash. We call it love, but it's not love. It's self-love. And we need to start calling it what it is. The love talked about in the Gospels is conscious love, conscious relation, not mechanical love. Our love is mechanical love. You can tell what's going to happen with it. You can tell what's going to happen with it. It's just a matter of time, and it's going to turn. It's like milk. <laughs> it's just a matter of time, and it's going to turn to cottage cheese, you know, curds and whey. It's not going to last. When we begin to realize we can't love as we are, we're at least nearer to the truth, Then we're no longer fools. We've got rid of some imagination, some part of false personality. We've taken off some of the makeup that we wear. We've taken off some of the overcoats that we wear, that we've put on, that we've acquired through life. What passes as love in mechanical life is mostly imagination. Romance. Imagination. Oh, wouldn't that be nice? Oh, let's go to this. Oh, let's go to the Bahamas. Oh, let's go here. Oh, wouldn't that be wonderful? Oh, we could cruise. Oh, it's all imagination. We imagine that it will be something. We get there and it's not that. And we're disappointed. And it's your fault. You didn't do it right. They didn't do it right. Somebody didn't do it right. So we didn't get what we imagined. What people call love is usually satisfied self-love. Think about that. What people call love is usually satisfied self-love. When your self-love is satisfied, you're in love. When your self-love is not satisfied, you're in hate. You're in dislike. You're in rejection. You're in anger. But when your self-love has been satisfied by somebody, oh, I love you so much, you're so beautiful, you're so wonderful, oh, you're a goddess. Oh, thank you. I'm so satisfied. Now, what is satisfied? My self-love. To love is to work. Love is work. We can't have a development of love without a development of consciousness. A man, as he is, is not yet properly conscious. Look, as we are, we're not yet properly conscious. Therefore, we cannot properly love. What we do is loverly, but it's imagination. See, that was Eliza Doolittle's imagination. Wouldn't it be loverly? Oh, wouldn't it be loverly? Yes, it would, except that it's imaginary. And what we need is real. What we need is conscious. What we need is work. Love must become conscious, not passion. Man is asleep. Everything in him is mixed with dreams, with imagination, with negative emotions, to which we cling most of all. What do we cling to? Negative emotions. What do we talk about in the, in the light podcast this morning? Patty said, oh, it's so much easier to be a good bus driver than it is to not be angry or, ang or anxious or depressed. Right. Or fearful. Right. 
because we cling to the negative emotions. Well, why? Because that's what we do. Because that's what false personality does. Living in false personality, we can't do. We have small, one-sided self-emotions. The closer we get to real eye in us, the more universal and objective we become. When you are in better eyes, have you ever noticed how much more objective you are about people? Yes. How less critical you are? And it's just amazing how more at peace you are. You know, it's just like, huh? What happened? You just got into better eyes. That's all. You just got into better eyes. You got closer to real eye. The more we can include all things in ourselves. You see, the closer we get to real eye, the easier it is then to be objective about ourselves and to allow these things that we now criticize and tear apart in ourselves and try and tear down and destroy in ourselves. But we need to understand that we need to love ourselves as we are loved. That means God makes his sun to shine on the good and the bad in you. He makes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust in you without any discrimination about it. All the discrimination comes from us. All the judgment and condemnation comes from us. We have stamped that on our image of God. But that's not what the sages and the prophets and the saints and the men who woke up said it was like at all. Who are you going to believe? The false personality that runs this world and turned it into what it is? Are those men who saw a different world and told us what it was and tried to give us clues on how to reach it? And there's one thing I'd like to finish with. Say, I can work. Say it. I, I can, can work. work. That's right. You can work. So do it. The linchpin of this work is the practical application of the ideas shared in the podcasts. If you'll go to solidrockvista.com to the thoughts page, I've written a number of articles that will help you to practice the principles that we're sharing with you in the podcasts.